Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to our podcast, the last one of 2019. So glad you tuned in. I don't know when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this before Christmas, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And if you're listening to it after Christmas, we want to wish you a Happy New Year. Today on the podcast, we have Jeff Christofferson. And some of you may or may not know who he is, but he is a leading missiologist in Canada. He's an author, speaker. He writes for many different blogs, including Christianity Today, The Send Institute, He's also led church multiplication at a local level, regional, and national, and comes with tons of experience. So we got a chance to pick his brain on the future of church multiplication, what kind of models we need, and how we all need to work together in the body of Christ to reach Canada with the gospel. You're going to love it, and here it is. We are blessed and excited to have uh, Jeff Christofferson with us on the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Doing well, and thanks for taking time to be with us today. Uh, Excited about this uh, podcast for lots of reasons. Uh, Certainly just the friendship we're developing, relationship. You've got lots of years of experience in church multiplication. You're a missiologist, a thoughtful thinker, but you also a little bit of a futurist, and that's where we're going to kind of uh, lean into today. Uh, you did a talk a couple times, I've heard it now, at different events, on the road ahead for future church planting. But but maybe before we talk about that, might you just share a little bit about your passion, maybe some of your history in church multiplication? Yeah, well, Paul, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, could never find a church to hire me, so I always had to start my own. And... Uh, and then, and then they got tired of me, so I'd go start another one. And um, uh, uh, But my life has been, I've been a serial church planter. The last one I planted, a lot of church planting came out of it. We, we really just sensed God was saying that the key for uh, the evangelization of Canada isn't going to be a mega church. It was going to be a mother church that taught um, churches how to plant churches. And if God's spirit would blow on that, we gave them some... Uh, some infrastructure and idea and uh, DNA on sacrificial kingdom living, giving themselves away uh, that cool things could happen. And so that has been my road for the last, uh, since 2010, I've been leading uh, the North American mission boards, church planting idea. So we started something called the send network. And so in that we plant between seven and 800 churches a year across North America and uh, and so more recently, uh, uh, Ed Stetzer and I started the Send Institute, which is a church planning missiological think tank, and uh, we have seventy five denominations and networks involved in that. And uh, and it's that's been a you know so I, I've been able to by experience uh, planting in the midst of secular secularity, figure out what works, what doesn't work been able to watch and see as a on a test tube and a vast array across North America what's working and not working and uh, and and so through intuition through divine inspiration through some search I think we've kind of got a 
got a, a handle on why we should stop doing some of the things we're doing and probably some things we should begin to zone in on. And that's what I love about chatting with you. You you've done it at a local level, you've done it at a regional level, and now, you know, have done it at a national level. And you still today, you know, if we follow your story, you're still back in local church and replanting. So you're not too far from it. You're not um, pontificating from a, from the holy mountain of church planting and (laughs) saying, here's what you should be doing. You're living it. And so I just so appreciate that, that, that perspective. And I don't think, um, you know, as we get to know you and, and as our network gets to know you, we're really going to come to appreciate some of the insights that you have as it relates to church plan. So I'm excited about the podcast because we're going to talk about the road ahead for future church planters, and it may not be what it has been. And I thought you had some excellent, yeah, it's not going to look the same. We can't plant churches how we planted even 10 or 15 years ago. Culture has changed and the landscape has changed. And so we're going to lean a bit more on that missiologist side of you. And why don't you walk us through maybe three, four, if we have time, five of those uh, future ideas as it relates to church planning. So what would you say is, you know, maybe the first, the first one, like maybe not the most important, but it's the first one on your list. Maybe I'll just sort of outline three and break them apart and how they fit together. Sure. And um, so I think we need a, um, a different kind of church planter. Um, One that, uh, like uh, t- historically, traditionally, church planting has been done by a church planter, right. usually a vocational guy. Um, most of the time, he's you know he's been to Bible college, seminary, something like that. He goes out, and in his mind, he's thinking he's going to go plant a a church, and that could be translated to planting or starting a worship service. And um, and much of what he was his work is centered around that idea. Um, I think the future is going to be, needs to be a, a far more dispersed uh, methodology where, where, where churches are employing, they have a discipleship process that starts with um, a spiritually curious person, ends in a, a church planting team member, and they're sending out, we had to invent a word uh, in 2016, I, I used the word for the first time, co-vocational. And this is what I'm, what I want to get at is that um, we are familiar with bivocational. Yeah. I'm a bivocational pastor. Yeah. Usually that means I want to be a full-time pastor, but I can't afford to be. And if this church could grow enough and get enough money, right. then I'll be a full-time that's my preference. Right. Um, there, we had to give a new imagination for uh, a co-vocational. The word co comes from the Latin com means together co-author, co-pilot, you know, two together. And so a church planting team comprised of people who have a call into uh, a vocation. They've, they've known that from the very beginning, but they also have a call into, into the gospel in a community. And, um, and so forming teams gathered around um, building the body of Christ, not necessarily a worship service, but a worship service will be part of that would be uh, one of the shifts that we would want to talk about. A second shift would be um, the, the church sees itself in a different way. Um, we, we're recovering from a church growth hangover. <laughs> and um, 
the, okay. the idea has been. Yeah. I just want to stop you there. What do you mean by okay. that? I've heard you say it a couple of times. I think I know what you mean, but just the church growth hangover. Just unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. So the the operating system of the average evangelical church since the nineteen late nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, has been how many more people can we gather in a in a spot? And it becomes this competitive thing to to gather people in a room for a worship service. We got to where there's actual physical limits to that. Whether it's uh, we hit some kind of saturation in our in our area, so then we began to multi-site that. But basically, it was just more church growth. It's the same. We're leveraging the gifts of a few people in more places, and um, and uh, but that you know it's taking more and more effort to get any results in that, more and more money to get any results from that. Many of these, you just look across, many of these that were once mega, mega, mega churches are just hollow shells all over the place. And um, and people aren't necessarily looking for religious entertainment. That's not, when there was a, a memory, in the, a Christian memory existence in, in culture, yeah, if I, if I have to go to church, I guess I'm going to go to the fun one. You know, and uh, but but that's gone, and uh, and so um, there, there's that's what I'm talking about. We're, we're we're still trying to use the same operating system in 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 church planting, but it's actually it takes more and more money and more and more effort to get the same kind of results or even a fraction of the results they used to get with that, because the it, the, the landscape has changed so much, yeah. and um, yeah, and so. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so recovering a little bit from this church growth movement and ideology, philosophy, and then you were going to say? Yeah, so the, the church um, has to see itself in, in a different way, and, uh, and that is the church plant is really trying to see itself as not necessarily a gathering um, institution but ascending institution okay and uh, that's that's the biblical blueprint of what a church is it sure gathers but that's not its purpose right. its purpose is sending that dna has been lost in north america it exists around the world um wherever you see you know the future of the church you don't find it in america you find it in most most uh, i was in a con leading in a conference in uh, in europe this uh fall and i uh, had 85 different countries involved in it and just it was just absolutely astounding to see how so many groups have figured out how to simplify and actually turn things into things that look like gospel movements that you know just are taking off. And so, so our, the 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 planter has to be different. Yeah. The um, the 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 goal of what this church looks like and is about has to be different. And then collaboration has to be different. Um, uh, I think I think part of what we're going to see, if we're going to actually see gospel impact, is is churches uniting around the lordship of Jesus Christ in in locality in, in geography, and so it's not necessarily me trying to be the winner in the community and having more and more people come to my, but it's actually the the goal is gospel saturation. The goal is every man, woman, boy, and girl getting to see and hear and taste and smell the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so if that is the goal and you look at the lay of the land, it, it really should drive every pastor and every planter to say, you're not my competitor. <laughs> yeah. You're my, you're my comrade. 
and um, and how do we how do we join forces not not become one you know local church, but how do we cooperate together, leverage our, our assets, our gifts, our strengths to be able to leverage your strengths and my weaknesses and, and back and forth in order to get the gospel out in a in a great way and which I think it has a compelling testimony in community in in Canada. How well do you think we're doing at that? Like you work with multiple denominations. I feel like we're getting better. Like, yeah, I you do. know, even um, 10, 15 years ago, I feel like we're getting better, but we're not where we need to be. What are, what are you noticing? I would agree with exactly how you put it. We are getting better. I think there was, you know, generations ago, um, almost an isolationist in denominations. And um, it's almost like, okay, our denomination is really the right one. The rest of them, you know, they're okay. But uh, but we got the truth and we don't really want to, uh, you know, that might be the most generous reading of that. And, and uh, <laughs> but I think I see things. I, I think, you know, like Pentecostals in Canada have helped um, Baptists, which I am in Canada, to understand, you know, worship and um and the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit impacts every part of our life. Maybe Baptists have helped Pentecostals in in theology. On on you know, there's been a sense where neither of us are on our extremes anymore. We've actually more found middle ground um, across denominations, and I think that has helped a, a different generation say, you know, I there's two planters that are beside each other and in geography, and they they think. I've got more in common with you, a different denomination, than I do with a lot of the churches in my own denomination. Right. Just because of our our drive for, for winning the city and, you know, just things like that. And so I agree that uh, we, you know, I think are getting better, but it's almost a congenial better. We're, we're, we're saying we're friends. Uh, I respect you. I appreciate what you're doing. But there is no uh, synergy locally very 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 rare to find churches in an area trying to figure out you know, the percentage in our city is that that is in christ is how many and you go oh it's five percent it's whatever it's a slow low percent and then you go what what do we need to do together and yeah uh, yeah and i think i think we're not there yet but um i think we we want to get there i think uh I think it's just going to take some leadership locally here and there because I think most most people are bending in that direction. Yeah, and uh, and I think if we had some leadership there, it would help. Do you think it needs to start at a leadership level nationally, regionally first, or locally? Because I feel like nationally and even regionally, um, I felt collaboration. Actually, I'll, I'll back up. I feel more collaboration at a national level with other national leaders than I did even at a regional level and even more than I did at a local level. Now, there's obviously pockets of people and churches that work together in cities, but where do you think it needs to start? Should it start at a national level and trickle down or should it be at a local level trickling up or should it be both ends working to the middle? <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, when you, when you're talking about national or regional um, the power of that is permission giving. 
Okay. It's like, it's like, all right, look, these guys are doing it. They love each other. And it seems to be okay. Cause I think some people are afraid to do it. Like, am I being a bad, right. a bad Pentecostal if I hang out with Baptists or whatever, you know? Right. And, um, and so the permission giving is, is the power I think, but it, yeah. there is no power until it hits the ground locally. And, uh, and so, so I, that, that, uh, Actually, that's a really great thought. I hope I hope some people wrote that down. I did because I think you're right. It starts with permission. Uh, so let's go back over those three because I know you went over them for, uh, fairly quickly. You know this idea of a new planter. Uh, church needs to see itself secondly as a you know a new uh, kind of entity that's that maybe looks a bit different than what it used to, and then collaboration amongst the community. Uh, why don't we drill down a little bit more on the planter? What do you think some of the characteristics, some of the attributes, skill sets uh, need to be resident in the planter or the team yep. uh, in the new kind of frontier that we see church planting going into? So most church planting assessments, which are a, a way of filtering to get to the result we're looking for, most church planting assessments filter for uh, a large church pastor who has an entrepreneurial bent. Yeah. So he's got the skill sets that a large church pastor has, and plus he's got this entrepreneurial thing. And uh, and if you can find that guy, we think we found gold. And um, we we get behind that guy, put the most resources behind that leader, and um, and soon discover that there's very very rarely is anything approaching a movement coming from that person because he's still operating often from the old operating system, which is come and hear me. Yeah. And, um, and so I think our filtering systems have to move from that entrepreneurial Superman to a catalytic apostolic and um, who, who much, you know, when you think of the apostle Paul had, has this vision <laughs> that he knows where yeah. he's going and yeah. um, and someone stones him and he gets back up and keeps going in that same direction the, the, the picture he cannot see what he cannot unsee what he sees and and he always sees it and um, looking for those, those kinds of leaders to lead movements and then uh, neither of us work in our systems with these words but I'll use them anyway we we need priests and bishops and um, and, and the bishops are, in a sense, the uh, these kinds of these apostolic leaders that are giving, giving. You know, they're starting a church, but they understand that this church's power is going to be when it releases an army of priests that come out from it, and um, and and the multiplication happens there. So they 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 come and drive the beachhead. They yeah. they do the original idea, and. Um, there's a, a prophetic, usually an uh, evangelistic part of that thrust, and then from there they uh, they began to put together a, a a way to assemble people they won into church planning teams, co-vocational church planning teams, and uh, and encourage them as they go from there and, and see multiplication. Yeah, and I think I think you answered the question, but I just want to provide some clarity in case you want to add more to it. What do you think then the difference is between that entrepreneurial leader and kind of that apostolic catalyst leader? Because you kind of made the contrast between the sure. two. Yeah. What do you think so, is the difference there? Um, being entrepreneurial is um, 
is is not a bad thing. It's no, it's very helpful. Yeah, but uh, it's it's not the same thing. Oftentimes, um, these entrepreneurials are really entrepreneurial shepherd teachers. Yeah. Um, yeah. They 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 are trying to. Uh, they have a different end in mind that they're entrepreneuring for. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and an apostolic catalyst is really saying, I don't really want to be the center of this show. Um, I, I want to be like a catalyst is usually invisible <laughs> often. And uh, like I, I was sharing with my friend, Ralph Moore, who's the most prolific church planner in the Western world, mm. planted two churches that multiplied over 2,500 and he can go nine generations deep in his churches. Wow. And, um, and most of the uh, most of the people, once you get past the second generation into the third, have never heard of Ralph Moore. Yeah, and uh, and so that's the that's the difference. That's the contrasting difference. Yeah, no, that's good. And because when you're talking about the Apostle Paul, you know, having having a vision, I'm thinking, wow, I don't. If if we have to find Apostle Pauls to plant churches, I mean, it's hard enough to find entrepreneurial leaders. Never mind Apostle Paul's, but I think that clarity uh, is yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, so you're, it's not like the guy, I mean, the person is so rare, but our filtering systems aren't designed to find that. They're designed to filter to a different direction. Right. And uh, and so oftentimes that person will go, oh, you know, there's just no way in the world this person will stay in that city long enough to grow a church to 2,000 people. We'll keep moving. Yeah. And you're right, he won't. But uh Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe something else is going to happen. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. So let's let's move on to the different kind of church because one of the one of the things that people ask me about is like, well, what's the future model of church? You know, what's church going to look like twenty years from now? And I've I've had back and forth conversations and you know different reading different podcasts on wondering where the kind of attractional church will all kind of uh, shake out in the end. My opinion is that it'll always be around, and it will always, uh, in a healthy way, hopefully, reach people far from God, but it won't be the only way or maybe even the predominant way 20 years from now. But I'm not a missiologist. What do you think and what are you seeing? What are the future models of church? How does it kind of get out of this um, church growth mindset to more of sending? Like maybe help us understand what's rolling yeah. around in your head and heart as it relates to this. So I think, I mean, I don't even have to go to the future. We can just go to the past, I think, to get, get a picture of what, what things might look like. And, um, and, and yeah, there, there might have been some attractional kinds of churches in the past, perhaps. I mean, maybe some would put, you know, Metropolitan Tabernacle, Charles Spurgeon, which was a, you know, huge church in London that was, you know, published there, Charles Spurgeon's sermons every every week on newspapers all across North or North America, the world, I think. And, um, but that would seem to be like the exception to the rule. Yeah, that that's not been when you see movements, you watch the first awakening, second great awakening. You see what's going on around the world. Um, things become viral when they're highly reproducible. Yeah. And um, and we might be missing we might be missing the ability to uh, make things reproducible when when we're trying to we're trying to be attraction. Yeah. And so I think 
I mean, I, I know the right answer is supposed to be a good friend who wrote a book called And, which talks about missional and attractional, and maybe it's not either or, it's both and. Yeah. And that could be. Yeah. But um, at least in this in intermediate state that we're in right now, while there's still a little bit of memory, Christian memory around, um, but as if as that evaporates, I can't see how attractional works. Okay. And um, and so it really becomes then the church isn't at all a worship service. The church is the body of Christ, and figuring out how that that is actually the body of Christ in a community, yeah. helping people who are would never feel any guilt for not going to church right um encounter christ in right. that way and uh, in, a, in the normal rhythms of life yeah and when i and when i mean attraction i'm talking more of the philosophy i don't think we ever want a church that's not attractional like to have a gathering that is repelling people and pushing them away <laughs> right like but i'm talking about well, that philosophy <laughs> where it's maybe more more sunday centric or worship gathering centric do you think that some of those churches that are recognizing that are um, like I think there'd be some in the states that that I that I've heard at least podcasts about about how that they still have their worship gatherings, but the focus has changed. It is about sending. It is about releasing, and and gathering on on weekends is still important. I think that's a you know to gather together biblically. I think that's important. But do you, do you see uh, churches moving? to be more missional, um, the bigger churches anyways, in the future? Um, well, I'm watching. There's, I can think of lots of examples of that happening, individual ones, one there, one here, one there. I don't think that's necessarily happening carte blanche everywhere right. as, a, as a movement or anything. Right. But um, it seemed like there's, there's, a, there's still the predominant operating system is let's keep doing what we used to do, maybe do it better and harder. Yeah, and uh, and and in places like the South or the Midwest, you can still get away with that. Right. You can't in the Northeast. You can't in the Northwest. You can't in the U.S. Yeah. And uh, and you and it you, maybe you can in some places in, in you know in Alberta and a few places, but you know you're in Canada. It's, it's very rare that you can you can you can live off of that anymore. Right. Right. Uh, I got an example of a guy I know who. He planted, um, I won't give any specifics because it might get too yeah. easy to figure this out. They planted two uh, large churches in California, very, very large churches. And, um, and then he came to a city in Canada and doubled his output on his um, marketing. So he basically did everything. And, uh, and for launch, or not launch Sunday, his first preview, which was at Easter, he had, um, and he was doing a major social media campaign right. and a massive mailing campaign, 50,000 pieces. Yep. And um, he had one person come from his marketing. Wow. And, uh, and that just seems to be the norm right now. And so, and it's not like this city had seen um, a lot of this in their mailbox of things. Yeah. Lot, you know, it's like, well, this would have been a weird thing. And uh, yeah, no, it's not interested. And, uh, and because all, Marketing is just appealing to something that's already in you. Yes. And uh, and if it's not in you, it's tough. And certainly in a post-Christian culture like Canada, it's not in us the same way it used to be. Nope. Right? Uh, so just, 
I want to just maybe hit on this one more, you know, just maybe one more swing at the pinata here. What, when you look at some of those churches that are, uh, you know, maybe transitioning uh, to a point where, yeah, we still have the big gatherings, we still are, uh, you know, doing church well on Sundays, but our focus is shifting more missionally. Of those kind of hot spots here and there of those bigger churches doing it. What do you think they're doing that's successful? Because I know there's some people out there that listening to this podcast, they're leading multi-sites, they're, they're leading these bigger churches, and their desire is to be ascending church. Their desire, nobody's mm-hmm. saying that we want to keep the gospel to ourselves, us and no more. No, they want to reach out. But, but how are they transitioning to more of that missional model when they're already an existing pretty big church? Yeah, so uh, there's uh, like some of them have set, a lot of them have, uh, have have stopped the multi-site idea and gone into a church planting idea. Okay. Um, they've released their multi-sites. Like you can think of a lot of the big examples of that. Village Church is one of those in, in uh, Texas that had, had like a dozen or so major yep. multi-sites yep. and said, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's a very definite end. Most can't manage it. That doesn't just because there's, there's right. so much maintenance yeah. in that. And, um, and so they, they've worked hard in trying to put uh, a reproductive capacity in those, in those sites and then set them, set them loose to yeah. sort of, and that's a natural thing. Like when I think of, you know, extremes on one extreme, if I'm looking at my left hand I'm, and I'm, I'm saying, okay, um, church planting as a entrepreneurial risk, risky, you go, you go and do it as best as you can, figure it out. God's going to be with you. God bless you. And then on the other extreme, ultimate safety, that is, we're going to multi-site. We're going to move, you know, 200 people over to there. We're going to put a shepherd pastor over there, giving leadership there. We're going to do whatever. And, um, um, and then you look at the one extreme and you go, okay, I'm watching that guy make all kinds of mistakes. And I know this, this area where he's planting or she's planting in and it's not, it's, yeah. they're, they're doing the wrong thing. And yet, uh, you know, it's your thing. And the other the other extent is like welfare and they're, they're living off mama, like in mama's basement forever. They're never going to really do anything that you don't get permission for from mama. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're, they're like, uh, interminate, um, kind of teenager in a, in the basement. And, uh, and so if we can find a middle between those two, where yeah. you take the thinking, okay, we understand this community. We're going to help you start this thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to almost use a site mentality to, uh, um, to say, we're, as we get this thing going, we're going to help. But our goal is to release you, yeah. just like a parent would with yeah. children. Our goal is to, to start you, get you healthy, and release you as a strong and thriving child. Yeah. And for you to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And I think if, 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 I think that's what's happening in, in some of these churches is yeah. they've gone beyond multi-site. They've come to the ends of multi-sites. I know there's lots of, there's a leadership networks put together a, a group that, that really started the multi-site thinking. Yep. Now they've uh, sort of abandoned it going, you know, it, it's just more church growth and it just gives us, it doesn't really take us where, where we need to go. Yeah, and that's some when I've talked with some of our pastors that are multi-siting or thinking about multi-siting, 
uh, my encouragement is to them either a figure out a way that it can stay in you know in house, but it multiplies. I remember asking Ed Stetzer at a an event and just saying, Ed, you know, do multi sites multiply? And by and large, they don't, which means the mother church never gets grandkids. And so I actually like that middle ground where it starts out like a site, but maybe three, five years or however long is decided upon that it becomes its own self-governing church because those are what multiply. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and again, I think it's the best of both worlds. It helps the, the new launch, you know, uh, to get stable. It's got covering, it's got structure and slowly releasing them. I actually think that's a super healthy model for church planting. It's like, it's the difference between replication and multiplication. Right. Um, replication is a, is something that happens in laboratories. Yeah. It's not natural. It's not, it, 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 and, and yet that's kind of what multi-site is. It's not an organic, natural thing. There's nothing in nature that does anything that would be a parallel to multi-site. Yeah. And multiplication is, is family. It is, you know, we're going to, yeah. we're going to parent you and we're going to release you to give and, and, uh, and, and you can cook that. I mean, I, I'm just urgent enough and yeah. maybe this makes me not a very good Canadian because <laughs> a lot of times we as Canadians are way too unurgent, way too conservative, way too, let's play it safe. Let's make sure we have our bases covered. Yeah. And, um, in the kingdom of God, uh, I think that's an oxymoron and, um, yeah. I think there's a sense where no, we don't save ourselves. We we parent, and it costs us. We never when you're when you're a parent, you never say when am I big? When am I you know old enough? When you're married? When are we rich enough to have kids or whatever? Yeah. You did it when you were most least equipped to do it. Yeah. Like right now, you know, I'm I'm 55 years old, and now I'm finally financially in a place where I should be having kids. You know, <laughs> and. <laughs> But, but uh, you know, that's done. That, my kids are all up and yeah. growing themselves. No, that's and true. So, yeah, it's true. I there's not too many sticky statements that I've ever said that I've heard other people repeat. But this was one of them. And years ago, I said uh, everything else in uh, society safe is the preferred course of action, except with faith. And yeah. when it comes to faith, safe is the most dangerous thing you can do. Yeah. And right. and that courage and that uh, call to walk by faith and not by safe is a pretty big deal as it relates to uh, walk by faith and not by safe. Yeah, like to have our pastors and boards go. Okay, we're you know we're swinging for the fence. We've got a yeah. couple churches here in Edmonton that have a very bold vision of one percent, uh, you know, reaching one percent of Edmonton, and and they're working towards it. It's not yeah. just something up on the wall. They're serious yeah, about they doing that. And, yeah. and they're trying to figure out. The last one, I just want to just we kind of close. Where does someone start for collaboration? Uh, I think it's true. I think we could, like, wouldn't it be great? And maybe it's happening somewhere. I haven't heard of it. But wouldn't it be great to have four or five churches from different denominations and networks all get together and say, hey, there's a church over there's there's a new subdivision over here that doesn't have any gospel witness. Let's all work together and plant something there. 
where do we start with that? Like that just doesn't come up naturally because of territorialism or isolationism over the yeah. years. So Jeff, where do we start? How do local pastors and church planters and you know people that lead in the cities and communities and regions, where do we start with that? Such a great question. Let me answer it and then maybe give a more of a prescriptive answer and then give you a story of where it happens and okay. how it happens. Yeah. And um so you start with asking different questions. Um, most of the time, we ask ecclesiocentric questions yeah. that, that uh, relate to how my church is doing. We have a lot of them. We even take courses on it. Natural church development is one of them. We, lots of these things. How is my church doing? And we've got all these internal metrics that are insular. They're, um, they're not really talking about mission. They're talking about the, the internals of the church. Um, the church growth movement is, is pretty well built on, on this idea. I think the question that, that pastors have to start asking is, how is my city doing? Mm -hmm. and, um, and is my city um, getting more and more you know, closer to having, uh, being exposed to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or, or, or is the average person further and further and further away every year? because of how we've been behaving as churches. And um, in, 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 I think in Canada, I think it'd be easy to say across the board without a single exception in, in at least in an urban area and major area, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Churches have not worked together to say, how does Jesus Christ known in our city? And so every once in a while, little, little ideas, uh, uh, someone will put a you know, an event together and invite everybody to the event or something, but, but not as a sustained idea. Let me give you a story of where, where it happened. And, um, and uh, so there was a single church in Buffalo, New York um, church. That's, it's one of the larger churches. And um, the, the pastor um, came and actually went on what he called the, an apology tour. <laughs> and, and he he went church to church to church to church. I don't know if he hit them all, but he hit a lot of them, and and apologized, saying um, we acted as if we didn't need you, hmm. and um, and we probably have benefited from you in all kinds of ways, and you have saw no benefit from us. Hmm. Um, you've reached people, and they've ended up in our church, and. Um, and he was just very transparent, very honest with them. And, uh, and he built a lot of credibility, a lot of trust. Because a lot of times the large church in the city is not the church that anybody trusts mm. because they've been hurt by that church. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I think in, in his very godly, honest way, um, he just brought the, brought the temperature down and brought the uh, sort of collaborative genome up. And then they began to say, all right, if we didn't care who got the credit, but we wanted every man, woman, boy, and girl to hear and see and taste and smell the good news of Jesus Christ, what would we do? And they said, we'd do two things. One, we would um, plant churches in the city where, where, where that would reach pockets of the city that none of our churches ever would. Two, we would um, take churches that should be doing well and aren't be doing well. We'd partner together to strengthen those churches in our own city. And so they brought out a big old map and, um, and they began to pray over the map and say, what do we do? And, um, 
they, uh, they uh, saw, well, here's an area we need to plant a church. And someone said, well, there actually is a good church there. It's pastor so-and-so. Um, they're not doing real well, but, uh, I mean, he's a godly leader. We, we, and so they said, well, let's go help. So they started praying for that pastor, started asking families in their churches, if you live in that area, why don't you go and be a part of that church? And uh, all of a sudden, that church was healthy, and, and, and they said, let's go plant a church there. And, uh, and three churches together would, would work out on how to plant a church there. And you fast forward that story just 10 years, not a long time. And if you look across its population in Buffalo in 10 years, the population in Buffalo decreased. Like most cities in North America are increasing. Buffalo is decreasing. But in that same 10 period, the, the attendance in church went up 30%. Wow. And that is not happening anywhere in North America other than in that one city. Wow. And um, so there is a, there is a real-time example of, of what could happen if, if it takes real spiritual uh, leaders to act spiritual and not fleshly and, um, and say the kingdom of God is the goal and the church of Jesus Christ is the vehicle to advance that goal and we are not going to make an idol of the church of Jesus Christ, then it's powerless. But we are going to release the church of Jesus Christ for yeah. the kingdom of God and behave in ways like that. And, uh, and I, think, I think Buffalo is a sweet example of what we could see across North America, but it's going to take some, some leadership locally to make that happen for sure. And, you know, just as I'm hearing you talk about that story, um, we know this all to be true, that organizations, churches, families, relationships all move at the speed of trust. And there has to be a trust not only in each other, but a trust in God that he's leading it and he's going to bring people together. And what a great story that is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something. And the trust thing didn't happen. You know, I think, I think that pastor Jerry, um, he created a culture by his own example. Yep. But then, then they, they didn't know what they were doing. They just were, were gathering and praying and loving each other until they got to a point where they, they said, let's do this together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Jeff, you've, you've, uh, you've challenged us today. Uh, you've encouraged us today, maybe disrupted uh, some plans in our hearts, but want to thank you for what you're doing and thanks for being a friend of the Multiply Network and uh, certainly to me, giving me great counsel and advice, but just so appreciated jumping on today. Yeah, my, I'm just, for whatever it's worth, grateful for PAOC, grateful for what, what you have brought our nation. And, um, and, uh, and I know, uh, you know, the great days ahead of PAOC are directly linked to the ideas that we've been talking about, about churches giving themselves away for the gospel. And um, so I know, Paul, you have a lot to do with leading that charge across the POC. So I just pray that the ears that hear the voice that you have um, allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever renovations needed because Canada needs the POC yeah. full on in a multiplying movement. Yes. And so yeah. we're desperate for you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks so much. 